there's one admission that millions of men across America are ashamed or unwilling to admit. And it starts and ends with these three words, I need help. When it comes to mental health and men reporting what they need, there's still more work to do in continuing this conversation and offering an olive branch of assistance. Because you see, according to our friends over at Statista, only 12% of men seek professional help for their mental health journey in 2021. Furthermore, according to the Anxiety Disorders Association of America, mental health stigmas deeply affect men in 2023. The association reports that 1 in 10 men experience both depression and anxiety. However, less than half will receive treatment to address these concerns. And sadly, four times as many men as women will die by suicide as a result of their mental health struggles every year. Which begs the question, how can we continue or, in some cases, start a meaningful conversation to revert this troubling trend? My friend, Mark Present may have some interesting answers for all of us to consider. He's a certified personal trainer who has had his own struggles with mental health and now he's on a journey to make sure that the conversation of progress surrounding men's mental health continues. He hosts the relatively normal podcast where he shares his journey with his struggle with weight, his battle with anxiety and depression, and to tell people, specifically men, that they're not alone during their mental health journey. He's on a mission to make sure that men have an ally in their mental health journey and to continue the conversation towards progress in this issue. And one of the ways he says we do that is by having continuous conversations about how men are feeling and how they can better express and manage their emotions. And he says it's okay for men specifically to be vulnerable as a coping mechanism to deal with all of the pressures that come along with being the head of a household or the most dependent figure in your family's life. And he joined me this week to share more about his intimate journey with mental health and how he's hoping to build a community of support to help others manage, thrive, and conquer their mental health concerns to be the best version of themselves. And he joined me this week to tell me more. I'm Kevin McShan. Let's have this conversation. 
I'll take a moment to welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to learn all about your fitness journey this morning. Great to see you, and happy Wednesday to you, my friend. Happy Wednesday. I am ready whenever you are. Absolutely. Now, Mark, I know that you're a, a mental health advocate, and you host two podcasts, my friend, so I'm wondering if we can begin our conversation by you telling me by you telling me what makes you so fabulous, my friend. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, that that's a, that's a great question. I I appreciate you wording it like that. Um, you know, I'm I like to think of myself as just a uh, a man trying to to figure it out on the on the run on the go. You know, a guy trying to build the plane while he flies it, and um, uh, you know, I. I like putting my story out there and I like talking about my journey because I, I want to let others know that, that they can, they can do the same thing. And, and I, I started the, the relatively normal podcast as a way to allow men a safe space to, uh, to talk about their feelings and emotions and, and battle that stigma that's associated with, uh, you know, talking about mental health and talking about those days that you just don't feel up to it, but you put that, that smile on your face and you put that that strong front out and you mask everything and I, I want people to be able to understand that that that's not necessary like you can tell the world when you don't feel a hundred percent you can tell others that you need a break that you need help and you can be vulnerable and that's that's what I want to do and I figure if I'm the one saying it then others can can take from my example and and learn to do or not learn be brave enough and have the courage to do the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, let's dive into why it's so important for men specifically to talk about mental health. Because, you know, when we look at uh, a mental health, men, uh, mental health is just go severely underreported. So tell me why it's important for men to, for men to be Vulnerable and open when it comes to discussing their mental health. Well, there's there's so many reasons. The the big ones, of course, are the fact that you know this society has, and when I say this society, it's just the world we live in has really never had that space for men not to be you know the protector, not to be the problem solver, not to be the one in charge. And I'm not saying people you know men shouldn't do that i'm not at all telling people not to live their lives they want to however um what we've seen in the past couple decades past generations is that the um you know the number of men that have committed suicide is four to six times higher than women and it goes unreported because we don't think that you know I don't say men deserve the space, but that men have these feelings. And because a lot of the times we, we mask it because we don't get labeled as weak. We don't want to get labeled as, you know, other terms that, that, you know, are synonymous with weak. Um, but the fact of the matter is that if you're human, you know, you have a brain and you have feelings and you should be able to talk about them and should is, is a word I don't like to use, but it, when it comes to, you know, the feelings and emotions that men have, it's a space that, you know, women have been very open and accepting 
with each other about. Women allow other women to to be vulnerable. Women allow other women to talk about their emotions, to come home from work and be sad, to come home from a day with the kids and be, you know, uh, anxious or, or feel, you know, run down. And men have to continually, or at least men feel they have to continue to be that, that strong, supportive, powerful male figure. And the fact of the matter is that you don't. Like, we need to make sure that we're talking to other men, that we're listening, that we're being good friends, and, and that we're allowing the men in our life that we call friend, that we call brother, that we call dad, cousin, son, whatever, that we allow them the space to open up and and let these emotions out so we can begin to heal and, and end this stigma. Yeah, and Kelly, well, we don't have the uh, term internal versus external motivation. I'm wondering how you think they're interconnected and how you define both those terms in your view. You know, that's one of the things that we, we try to teach kids when they're young, when they're either, you know, in school, when they're playing a sport, when they're trying to become better at something like so many times we, we tell our children, Hey, if you, if you do this, like I'll do this for you. And I'm guilty of it. You know, I'm guilty of saying, Hey, if you put in this work, if you read this book, if you, you know, train for this amount of time, we'll go get ice cream. And, and that's an external motivation. Um, it's hard to teach because, I like to move past motivation and I like to, you know, use the word discipline because when, as an adult, if everything we do is because of external motivation, then we're continually looking for it. Uh, You know, our jobs, our careers, external motivation is a great thing. Like we want to do the job to make money, to be able to live our life and and take care of our family. Um, Very rarely do we see someone who will, you know, constantly go to their job and just be internally motivated to do it almost like they do it for free like that doesn't happen we live in a capitalist society like i i i don't do that all the time however when you get to a point where you want to better yourself when you are at a point where you say i want to be the best version of myself what do i need to do that do i need to put 30 minutes a day out to go for a walk do i need to put an hour a week out to read this book do i you know we don't always want to do the things that better ourselves as a father as a you know as a family man i want to make sure that my family is taken care of and i'm always doing things for them however when i flip that and i say i'm doing this for myself i have to dig in deeper dig in internally and say okay i might not feel like it i might not get rewarded externally but i need to be a better version of myself and i looked look i had to look deeper and that comes with discipline like like waking up early in the morning four or five times a week i'm not (laughs) i don't get a reward for that i don't get an external reward but i do it because i'm disciplined and i want to be the best version of myself yeah, and Mark, I know that you're a, an advocate for therapy and, and counseling when it comes uh, to mental health because it was a real ally for you during your own mental health journey. So tell, tell me why you think more men specifically should embrace therapy, counsel, 
as well. Yeah, so I had a friend tell me once, and I, I will keep this forever, is that, um, you know, she was going through postpartum. She said the therapist was someone who assisted her in carrying that weight. And if we can break it down to the most, you know, basic, practical, pragmatic example is, you know, so many women, men listening to this. I know women do too, but I'm talking to the men. So many of you are carrying all this weight of trying to take care of so many things and be so many people and be the best at everything. And, and it's when you start to write down and think about all the things that you're trying to, to be great at in that pressure, it just mounts on top of you and it just feels heavier and heavier and heavier. And then you think about who am I talking to about this? Like, who am I allowing into my life to carry some of this weight? And when you find the right therapist, that therapist will carry a lot of that weight for you. And in, in my case, it was just someone who could consistently validate my thoughts and tell me that what I was thinking was valid. Like the feelings I have were valid. A lot of times men say, I, I, I shouldn't feel like this. I'm, I, you know, I should be happy. I should, I, I should be grateful. I should be thankful. And it's like, no, you are allowed to feel exactly how you feel. Now, do we have to work on coping mechanisms? And that's a big thing is like therapists will, one of the big things they do is they, uh, they help you, you know, notice your triggers and find your triggers and, and understand when, why, where are going to happen. And then they help you to figure out those coping mechanisms, whether that be journaling, whether that be leaving the situation, going for a walk, whether that be meditation, whether that be mindful thinking, all that stuff. But the biggest thing is they, they allow you to validate your own feelings and say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm allowed to feel sad at this moment. So that's, that's one of the biggest reasons that I advocate for it because that's exactly what I got out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Mark, I'm a, a huge believer in that, in that strength can act, uh, you can achieve strength through vulnerability, my friend. And, I, mm -hmm. and, and you know, I don't think enough men use that as sort of an ally to their own own performance in life. So tell me, why do you think vulnerability can be a strength for men as well? I love this question so much. I love this question so much because you are absolutely correct. Um, I, I, the easiest thing, and we don't see it as easy, but one of the easiest things is to mask emotions and kind of go into your corner and figure that with time, everything will get better. But I've said this before and I'll say it again. One of the most satisfying, one of the most absolutely engaging and great conversations that you'll ever have is a vulnerable conversation between two men because it takes so much strength to tell another man that you feel like you're failing, that you feel like you're not strong enough, that you feel like giving up. Because 
how many times do we see kind of you know men doing the whole peacock they they put their their feathers out and they they flare them out and they say this is how strong i am this is how great i am this is what i did my child did this i was this person i got this promotion i got this raise i did like that's what we expect but when one man sits down with another calls another man and says i i tell you what i'm i don't think i'm prepared for this interview i i think you know, I yelled at my kids and I don't think I was being a great dad. I'll be honest with you. Like the bills are piling up. I don't know if I'm, if I'm built for this. And then just to hear that exchange, like it gives me chills just thinking about it because like I, I live for those moments where other men can call me and tell me where and when they feel weak and why they feel weak and what this moment is doing to them. And I just want to listen. How many times, like the the world is is not always conducive to listening to men's issues because we just sweep it under the rug and think, all right, he's got it. Like he'll get through it. Like you got this. How many times you, you've heard the you know, man up, man up, like be a man. And it's like I I don't have to do that. Like I can be vulnerable. It takes so much strength to go against the current and say those things. So I want more men to be able to do that. Yeah, and let's, let, let's talk about that for a minute. What do you think we can use as an olive branch to get more men to be open about their mental health? The biggest thing I say is people need to understand how men communicate. And it's, it's these little innuendos that men do. Um, we it's very very rare i'll do this but it's very rare for a man to just walk into a room and say hey <laughs> i feel i feel down i feel weak like it's it doesn't happen that way all the time or, or even a lot of the time but what'll happen you know a man will come home from work and you know wife roommate whoever lives with him he'll just sit down on the couch and say man ah oh, what a day that's that's it. That's it. That's all the that's all they'll say. That is a cue for the person in that room, if they're friends with this man, if they love this man, to pause the TV, because we all can pause TVs now. Thank goodness DVR. We can all, all pause TVs, put the phone down, put the drink down, stop everything you're doing. And say, Oh, really? Like, tell me about your day. I really want to know. The words, how are you doing, are powerful if it's followed by, uh, no, really, how are you doing? I want to know. And at that moment, the whole room can change. But we don't see that enough. We see the, oh, man, what a day. Then the response usually is, oh, tell me about it, man. Uh, are, we, are we still going to watch the game? Or we still don't? Remember, you got to do this. It's like there's no pause after those little clues where a man is trying to to open up the conversation. Yeah, and, and you know, Mark, I want to talk to you uh, th this morning about resilience and perseverance. And before I ask you uh, the question, I'll share just a little bit about myself. So, Mark, at the age of nine, buddy, I was told by a doctor that I would not be able to walk for the duration of my life without assistance because 
of the severity of the cerebral palsy I was born with. And, you know, I tell people when I'm interviewed or when I'm interviewing people that the the changing point of my life happened when I was nine years old and when my middle school principal told me that the only limitations on my life are the artificial ones that I place uh, personally. So tell me about uh, perseverance and how you view the concept of that and overcoming adversity. What are your thoughts there? You know, I used to um, have this complex that I should just just consistently be grateful just because I was fortunate in my life. Like I, you know, I was fortunate to grow up in a, in a nice house, nice neighborhood, you know, both parents. And every time I would get down, every time I would um, think badly of myself, I would literally just be like, oh, well, you, you should feel grateful. You should, you should, you know, I, I don't know why you're so, I would tell myself this. I'm not, t I'm not telling anybody else this. I'm telling myself. So you can, you can understand how my, my self-talk was, was uh, very negative at certain points. But the beginning to resilience and persistence is finally allowing yourself to just be in the moment. Because a lot of people think persistence is just fighting through. Anything you have, just fight through it. Just fight. Go next day, next day, next day. Get you know every day. Get better. And I, I'll tell you, I'll tell people, and, and uh, you know they don't. No one has to listen to me. But I'll tell you, you know, my turning point was the fact that I started to understand that getting better every day is difficult, is very hard, is almost impossible. Some days I have to go backwards. Some days I stay the same. It is hard to do something or get better every day. And that's what makes persistence sometimes very hard because people think of it as this thing is that every day I got to be a better person, a bigger person, a stronger person. And it's like, no, every day is just a new experience. Every day is just more learning. Every day is just more maturing. And once I figured out that I could persist on a level that allowed me grace, allowed me the flexibility to just be some days instead of, you know, going above and beyond and being a better version of myself every day. That's what kind of was a turning point for me. Persistence is one of those things that we kind of misuse because we think that people just have to fight through every battle. You have to fight through every battle, get through it, get through it, get through it. It's like, man, that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound rewarding. That sounds very difficult. And that sounds, <laughs> that sounds like it's going to be beating me up constantly. So I think people can learn to love themselves, learn to allow themselves grace, learn that every day doesn't need to be that battle. Are some days going to be that battle? Of course. But as long as you're moving forward and learning from your experiences, that's what persistence looks like to me. Yeah, and Mark, tell me, I, I'm fascinated to ask you, why do you think it's okay for men to cry, to get their emotions out? Why do you think a, a crying can actually be a source of strength when we're trying to express emotions? Mm -hmm. You know, 
there is there is these extreme parts of all the emotions we have like for instance you know if you're an 18 year old college basketball player and you win the ncaa tournament you you're not you're not just you know overjoyed or happy or excited you are over the moon like you're extremely satisfied i mean that is the moment you want to live in that is a great moment and we accept that we accept we go there we go from zero to 100 and we allow it we allow that moment of you know nervousness and, and fatigue at the beginning of the championship game to that moment of just exultation and just you know absolute pandemonium in regards to our feelings at the end and that's healthy like we allow that to be healthy on the flip side of that, if we lose a loved one, if we lose that championship game, if we think that the world is, is totally against us, we're allowed to go to that extreme emotion of, and, and, and cry. And, and, and ugly cry, too, if you want to. Like, ugly, ugly cry. You know, eyes swollen, eyes red, just... and it lets all that emotion out because what happens if we keep all those emotions, like we would never allow someone to win a championship and like bottle it all up and just be very stoic and, and Hey, why aren't you happy, Mark? I'm just bottling all this emotions up. No, like that. We know, we know that's not healthy. That's obviously not healthy. So the flip side of that is when I don't feel the greatest is when I, and I need to let this out. It's not healthy to bottle those emotions either. Let, Leo, let it out. Um, it's, a, it's a physical release of an extreme emotion. That's what crying is. Um, and if we allow boys and young adults and teenage, teenage men to do this, then we're showing them that their feelings are valid and we allow them to work through things. If we consistently tell young boys, young teenagers, young adult males, stop crying, stop, why, what are you crying for? If we always, you know, question them why they feel like crying, then they're going to grow into men who think that it's not acceptable to cry. They're going to keep emotions in. They're going to be emotionally unavailable. They're going to be the ones that are in relationships and their wife or partners constantly saying, like, why don't you show emotion? So we have to continually teach that that is a, perfectly normal way to live you are human and this is helping this person grow as an adult yeah so let, let, let's follow up with asking you about how do they, we define men being emotionally available this is one of those things that starts at a very young age because we're talking about generational societal norms and we're talking about the role of men in relationships we're talking about the role that men play in child rearing and we talk about the role that men play in an emotional contract which a relationship is now if generation after generation after generation men are told to be stoic we're told to not show emotion we're told to be protectors. We're told to keep everything straight, everything in line. You know, don't get out of line. Don't show emotion. 
then we're not going to be emotionally available unless we learn it at an older age. Now, if we get to a point where fathers are consistently telling their boys that they're allowed to be emotional. They're not the ones at the end of the basketball game that the eight-year-old loses that is crying that, you know, man up, we don't, we don't cry in this household. We don't cry. Stop crying. If they continually hear that, that is going to, I mean, children remember things get, things get seared into the mind of children. They're, I mean, remember they're learning constantly. So as they get older, regardless if this is a you know, relationship at home, a marriage, relationship with friends at work, whatever, they're going to constantly have that seared into their brain where they are not going to allow their emotions to come out. Now, I'm not telling every man out here to be the most emotional person in the room and just go start crying in business meetings. and get, like I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is more of a relationship you have with yourself. Because you can allow yourself to get emotional and cry and work through your feelings because that's what the emotions do. So it all comes with how we're raising our children, what we're allowing them to do, and what words we're using with them. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Mark, I'm a huge believer in building what I call social capital. You know, it's one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast, to have conversations with people, to build social capital and better understanding on issues that affect all of us and provide different opinions about how to get through these issues. So I'm, I'm curious, how do you think we can use building social capital as a competitive advantage when we talk about men's mental health? Well, it's one of those things where I tell people all the time is that we're, we're constantly living in a place where um, people always talk about society and social norms. And you know, the thing about social norms is um, hilarious because I always tell people like, you know, who creates social norms? It's like us, like we are society. Like, I mean, it's, it, it's always funny to me when we do that. Um, but men have to, in regard to social capital, a lot of it is about the relationships we build. And, you know, you know, using social connections, you know, to achieve common goals, things like that. I always tell people it's it's funny when you look at the different the differences in relationships with women to women and men to men. Women will have kind of a a wet, most women will I I don't want to generalize at all, but you know women are, are they usually have this social web, and men don't really look at it that way. If if they're if they're social, they don't really see it as that they have like one or two friends that they'll hang out with. They have a group of guys, but other than that, they 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 won't have much of a, a social life. However, it is quality over quantity. So the capital that we use, the, the friendships that we make, I think if we have more conversations with the men that we 
that we love, the men, again, the men we call brothers, cousins, friends, best friend, whatever, co-work, you know, the men that we love, we start to build that social capital, which in turn turns those other men into better listeners, better friends. And you start to see that web getting bigger and bigger. And like you have a group of men who are vulnerable and communicate well, they branch out to another group of men who are vulnerable. And you see where this is going. Like the, the web keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So, and it could start with, with one person. Kevin, it could start with you. It could start with me. It always starts with one person. That's all it takes. Yeah. Or two guys, or two guys talking on the podcast. You start with two guys talking on a podcast. That's what. It yeah, absolutely. And Mark, I know that you're also a, a certified personal trainer, my friend. So, you know, for me, as I shared with you, uh, I have a disability, so uh, making fitness is a, a priority in my life. Is that non-negotiable for me? It's something that I do every day because if I don't use my muscles, they contract faster and I lose them. So tell me, why do you think it's important for men to make their physical fitness a priority? You know, I, I believe, you know, this is one of those things that it's for men and women. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is that people are living to be older. Like people are living, like it's, it's, it's not rare for someone to live to be a hundred, like or ninety or hundred anymore. So, you know, as we get older, you know, especially women. When I talk about this, especially women are, um, you know, they they're more prone to osteoporosis and bone issues, and and um, you always have issues with muscle atrophy. And and um, the thing people need to understand, which took me a while to understand, is that muscles and the proteins and amino acids in them are the building blocks of so many things in your life. So we're talking about people are living longer and they have to be proactive with their health. And um, it takes resistance, it takes cardio, it takes uh, strength training to build those muscles to create, you know, bigger, you know, the amino acids and the proteins in the system. And, um, it helps you live longer, maintain flexibility, maintain joint pain. I mean, we all get some kind of nagging issues as we get older, whether it be our back knees, whatever, but as long as you're staying active, you can be proactive in, in working against that. And also a big part of this is, is people don't, you know, don't, you can't just focus on what you're doing to your body. It's also what you're putting in your body. And you have to make, make the right things and, and getting the, you know, the minerals that you need, carbohydrates, macros, and micros, and, and we don't have to get too specific, but it's all unique to your, to your body. So it's always good to like, you know, put your own body weight and, uh, and height into an, an online calculator and see if you're getting enough protein, carbohydrates, all that good stuff to, to maintain that bone density, to maintain the muscle strength, to maintain the brain because your, your brain needs carbohydrates. Um, you need proper sleep because that's when the brain is, is cleaned and, and the brain regenerates. So there's so many things to this. But as long as you are making sure you're eating correctly, you know, most of the time, we're all allowed to have that cookie or, or, or fried chicken wing or, or, or brownie 
occasionally um, and getting consistent, good sleep, and then getting a good fitness resistance routine three times a week, you should be golden. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about consistency, isn't it? Yeah. Consistency is 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 based on discipline. Again, we bring go back to that word. It's like is this, consistency only appears when discipline is in the picture. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Mark, tell me about your time as a college athlete, my friend, and how that helped sort of shape the person you are today uh, uh, and your mental health journey. How did that uh, uh, time affect your life, my friend? So I, um, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I was a, I was a college athlete. I played soccer at Clemson. Um, and I learned a lot about myself in those years playing that. I learned that, um, I did not love sports as much as my teammates. And I was more of a, uh, a big picture thinker. Like, don't get me wrong. I love soccer and I still love soccer to this day. Um, but I loved being a, a student athlete. I love the atmosphere of college. I loved maturing and learning more about the world. As I've gotten older, I've still kept that. I've yeah, gained more of like a, in in you know, a learner's attitude and education attitude where I want to learn more and more each day about the things that's happening on the in the world. And sometimes I wish I kind of had that in high school, but I, you know, you can't go back. But um, it was a great experience. I still have so many friends from that time. But um, I did quit my senior year because I, I lost the love for the game. And, and I was brave enough to not drag myself through a year of soccer and absolutely hate my life and hate, you know, doing that couple hours a day every day. And looking back, that was one of the changing points in my life where I understood that I'm in charge. Like, this is my life. I can make decisions for myself. Will they have repercussions? Of course. But, um, I did love that time. I did, you know, learn. I, I learned how to push myself, how to how to test my limits, and um, that was a turning point for a lot of stuff in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, Mark, I know that you're on a mission and you have a goal uh, uh, to inspire people to ask for help when they need it from a mental health perspective. So, from a broader perspective, what do you think is the key? to ending the stigmas around mental health and having a wholesome conversation that really moves the needle of progress forward. It is a long uphill battle, but it can be done. Like we're not talking about something that's going to be done in a day. Something's going to be done in a year, you know, but um, we have to make sure, again, it goes back to listening and being good listeners and being good partners and good friends and good communicators because we still have terms, and I've mentioned man up, be a man, you know, that don't really add anything to the conversation. Like that doesn't really add anything. And, and I'm not here to talk to you about what is what um, you know, the word man is defined as or, or masculine or any of those things. What I'm saying is that when we say things that are so poignant, pointed and 
invalidating as when someone is emotional and someone is vulnerable and our response is be a man or back in my day we didn't have time to feel or you know any of those things that are just so demeaning and so demoralizing where this person doesn't want to even open up and talk to you anymore we need to change that response and that's not a should that's not a you know one day but we need to do it now where we start to figure out and we're self-aware enough to know like oh this person is opening up to me now do we need to have some very difficult conversations with people and ask them to do more and ask them not to consistently feel sorry for themselves or be in um you know things like a victim of course but it was explained to me one time and I'll, it was a whole paradigm shift for me that someone with this victim mentality or someone who consistently just wants to play the victim or be a pity like that has worked for them. That is a defense mechanism. That's worked for them for a long time. So we need to get to the deeper issue and actually have those conversations and say, why, why do you feel you have to do this? I'm here to listen to you. I don't want you to always feel bad for yourself or always think you're the victim, but let's talk about this and, and, and let's see why you always feel this way. Again, ending a stigma isn't like asking your fingers. We have to just be better listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Mark, throughout the course of my life, my friend, I've had a, a total of seven surgeries and I was born uh, three months mm. uh, premature, my friend. But I have to tell you that I love living life because I choose in life not to dwell on my personal or physical restrictions, but rather to celebrate my life and celebrate the lessons that I've been put on earth to teach my friend. So I'm curious for you, what's the best part about living life and why is it important to put yourself first before anybody I'll answer those questions in the opposite of how you answered them. So I'm going to answer the, the second question first because um, I, I, I want to make sure people understand why putting yourself first is so important. And, and it's one of those things where it's it seems selfish. It seem, it's seen as very vain to always put yourself first make time for yourself first but here's the thing like a bunch of us have so many responsibilities if you just lay out your responsibilities like okay i have to you know be a good dad i have to be a good husband i have to be a good wife i have to be a good cousin a brother i gotta take care of my 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 you know, father, I take care of my mother. I have, to, I have to do, I have to be at work. I have to, you know, so many, when do you start listing them out? You're like, man, I, I do a lot. And then you start thinking about those things you love doing, your hobbies. Like I have to record a show. I have to coach kids. I have to, you know, go all those things. And when you break it down and you think about the one you know, constant in all the one common denominator. It's you. It's literally you. And so if you can't be the best version of yourself, how are you going to be able to give 
anyone else the best version? How are you going to be able to be the best coach, the best father, the best teacher? You know, all those things. And that takes me to your first uh, first question about that's why I love living life is because I'm able to give. I'm able to be the best version of myself for others. I'm able to inspire. I'm able to 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 be a, a dad and a, a pretty good dad at that. I'm able to be a good coach and and I wouldn't be able to do any of that stuff if I hadn't accepted that I can take care of myself. I can be a better version of myself. I can be the best version of myself. Because so many of us live this thought process of I have to continually give, 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 give of myself, which is fine. Like that, I'm not telling people don't think like that. That I, I wish more people thought like that. More people were <laughs> were agopic and, and and gave of themselves. But you have to be able to balance that life because you cannot pour out of an empty cup. It's a terrible cliche, but I will continue to say it because. You cannot pour out of an empty cup. You have to refill it. You have to make sure that you're balancing what you're giving and what you're putting in it. Yeah, self-reflection and uh, self-care is so important, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And Mark, in the few minutes I have left with you, my friend, I, I, I'm curious to ask you about the importance of really living in the moment and being a great listener what does that mean to you so um there was, a, there was one point in my life and, and it was a couple years someone asked me any icebreakers and it could be whatever someone asked me hey if you could go back in life like what's one thing you changed about yourself or, or you know you, you, you under, everybody gets that question it's the icebreaker question and we talk we we say it it's it, you know we understand that we can't do that but we've all answered that question in different ways oh i'd go back and go to this school or i'd go back and i'd learn this or i'd go back and i'd do this whatever it is but i finally got to a point where i was like i wouldn't go back and change anything because through all of those experiences, I'm where I am right now. And I like where I am. I love where I am right now. Yeah, of course, could could a lot of us have more money? Yeah, of course we could. Could a lot of us have more time? Yeah, of course. But I really, really like the person I've become and the situation I'm in. And that all came from my past experiences. So I'm not worried about the past. I'm not worried about it. Nothing I can do about it. Um, and then when it comes to the future, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, a, 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 I'm not a, a, a future teller. I'm not a sorcerer. I'm not a wizard. I, I can't, I don't have a magic ball in front. I have no idea. And, and I would want to know. I wouldn't want to know. This journey is great. Not knowing what comes tomorrow. So the, the le- you know the less the less amount of time we spend on thinking about the past and the future allows us to put that energy into the present. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Mark, my final question for you has to do with your final message to any men watching this or listening to this today. 
about the idea of allyship or asking for help when they need it and the idea of acceptance of all people because we all need an ally in our mental health journey, don't we? We do, and I want that's a that's a great place to end because I'm I'm pulling up a a text message that I got from a friend, um, and I'm just going to read it because um, it says, "Hey man, wanted to share before I forgot. It meant a lot that you reached out today. Thank you for holding me accountable and coaching and mentoring me. Appreciate you deeply." And that was after I had five minutes. I had five minutes on my way to a coaching session and I said, let me call my buddy up and just see how he's doing and follow up with him. Some things he had talked to me about five minutes, a five minute conversation. I got in the call, got in the car, called him. He picked up, talked for five minutes. I said, got to go. And that's what he texts me afterwards. And we have this idea that these things take so much time, so much effort. So we, well, we, we can't do it minute phone call a five minute phone call that's all it takes for another man to be grateful and to say thank you for holding me accountable and coaching me so that's what i want to leave everybody with yeah absolutely and follow mark if people want to get connected with the good work that you do my friend what's the best way they can do that so um if you want to keep up with any of the shows that I host, you can follow me on Instagram at, at hosted, under, hosted by Mark. So hosted underscore by underscore Mark, M-A-R-C. Our Paysant underscore fitness on IG, uh, Mark Paysant on LinkedIn. And then dropping very soon will be my website. It's getting revamped and updated. And that'll be markpaysant.com. And that will be available December 1st. And that's where you can go to find all my coaching and book any appointments and just find more about you know find about what I'm doing. Uh, fantastic well mark i want to uh, thank you for all the good work that you do to move the needle of uh progress forward when it comes uh to mental health and re really providing a stable and reliable source of leadership and accountability for men my friend you're work in the space and time on my behalf this morning is most appreciated and I want to thank you for being here. I thank you very much, Kevin. This has been great. I appreciate you and what you're doing and um, I, I, I hope you are able to reach so many people with your story. So thank you for being who you are.